please stand and join us as we sing our praises to him.
Father, we come today to worship you who have has done so much for us. We are here only because of you and your grace in our lives. And we pray that you will help us to know your presence with us here today as we worship. Let our worship bring honor to you and glory to your name. Help us to proclaim you and to let you work in our lives in this time together. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. We want to welcome you this morning, especially welcome those of you who may be here for homecoming weekend at the college. Uh, before you're seated, take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. just be a shoebox. But to millions, it is the start of the greatest journey. Traveling the world, sent with prayer, more than eight and a half million shoebox gifts fill the hearts of children from over 100 different countries with hope, faith, and love. This is the story of Operation Christmas Child. You know, we're in India right now in Hyderabad, and these kids, they've never had a gift like this. And when we can give a gift and do it in the name of Jesus Christ, it means everything in the world. Since 1993, Operation Christmas Child has delivered more than 95 million shoebox gifts in over 130 different countries. This is Christmas! There are so many fun ways to get involved with Operation Christmas Child. Don't forget to pack a shoebox. OCC to NYC. Lots of great conversations, lots of opportunities to tell people how they can make a difference in the life of a child through a simple shoebox gift. I'm back home in my home church, First Baptist of Garner, doing a shoebox packing party with the whole church. This is fun. We'll see you in the Dominican Republic. It means a lot to be able to, you know, to pack your own shoebox and to actually be able to go to that country where the kids are receiving it and, and to see the kid who's going to be receiving your box. It's going to be an amazing day when, the, when that day comes when I'm face to face with Jesus Christ in heaven. To see some children that received a shoebox who might have never heard or seen Christ's love to them before and and gotten that shoebox, and because of that, they're in heaven with me. Living in the midst of the most desperate of circumstances, Ralph, a nine-year-old child from the Philippines, found hope in his shoebox gift. Not only did I receive a gift, but I also prayed to receive Christ as my Lord. Knowing God will always love me means everything to me. It's not just you give a box and we walk away. God is using the greatest journey as a discipleship program. And these kids are responding to it. Jesus said that you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel. You put it so the whole world can see. And when a child's life is changed, it cannot be hidden. 
you see their faces, their smiles, the joy that, that they get when they open that box, it's almost like they're breathing the Lord in when they open that. It's beautiful. You know, every box uh, is important. They're all different. And uh, put good stuff in it. These kids, we're giving these boxes to our kids that have never had a gift in their life. And they need to know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. We want the children of the world to know about God's love. And every child, we're going to follow up with them and we're going to disciple them. Thank you for your gift. Every box is important. Get involved. We need your help. We need your support. God bless you. Thank you. And a Merry Christmas. As you saw, the uh, total number of boxes over the years of uh, 19 years that been doing these is that uh, not about 95 million. And the goal this year is to have at least 5 million so that it we passed the 100 million mark of total shoe boxes that have been distributed. And this is, uh, you know, we, we have participated in this program a number of years, and it's been great to see that. I had someone just yesterday, the other day telling me how much their children enjoy putting the boxes together and finding gifts for little children their age. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And you can do this as a family, as individuals. You can do it as a part of your dorm if, or apartment or whatever you want to do, um, and there's information uh, on the, uh, in the insert that you have in your bulletin, more information. The bookmark has uh, things you can pray about each day. Uh, also, there are, uh, you can catch a QR code uh, as you leave today and get more information on the church website uh, and the church Facebook page. And we, we love, we'd love to, uh, to be a part of helping Operation Christmas Child pass that 100 million mark and to pray that God will use this in ways that... You know, from the, at the beginning, could never dream possible, but we know God can do miraculous things. So thank you for your participation. If you have any questions about that, just let us know, and we'll help you uh, put things together. Um, there also is another insert in your bulletin about the uh, fire department, our volunteer fire department. We appreciate so much the people who serve us, uh, volunteer to help us remain safe, to be there for us when, uh, when people are injured or ill. Uh, to, to just help us as a community. And uh, there's a lot of volunteer hours. And every time the siren goes off, uh, you know, you think to yourself, there are another half dozen or maybe a dozen people who are dropping what they're doing, no matter what time of day or night it is, to, to go and assist and help people. And, and the, the fire department is really in need of, of funds and also in needs of, of volunteers. And uh, we want to help in, in this community project, uh, help them with both fundraising and with recruitment. Uh, you'll see some information in the, in the insert and on the back. You can fill that out. Uh, also, around the, in the back foyer and in the CE foyer, there are um, fire extinguishers that have been uh, hole cut in the top. And you can put your contributions in there. Uh, or you can, uh, you can drop this off as well. And we want to make sure that uh, we help the fire department uh, serve us. And we want to uh, honor them, thank them for what they're doing, and also encourage you to think seriously about whether you might want to be involved in this uh, very important part of what it means to be uh, in this community and a part of uh, this gathering. So please, uh, please take a look at that and, and pray through that. There are a number of prayer concerns also in the bulletin, and we want to pray for a number of 
circumstances and situations related to us as well as around the world. And, uh, and also just to take note that uh, we are again hosting a three-week, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week prayer vigil. And it will begin on October 28th and uh, continue through November 18th. And uh, we're getting geared up about that. You'll be hearing more in the next couple of weeks as well. But, but uh, we want you to be, uh, be ready and uh, be prepared to be a part of this really significant time of the life of our church. I know that many of us, our lives have been really changed and transformed through these prayer events. And we are looking forward to what God's going to do in this prayer event as well this year. At this time, we want to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church.
God's made great promises to us, and one of them is to hear us when we pray. And as we uh, join our hearts and our spirits together in prayer, as we've been doing for a while, if you want to come and, and offer your prayers at the altar rail, please come and join me. Otherwise, please be seated. Father, we thank you for all that you've promised us. The day when we will know the fullness of our sins forgiven and the fullness of life with you. We thank you for that great promise. Lord, as we await that day, we pray that you will fill our lives with your grace and your blessing and your peace, for we desperately need you. We thank you that you are at work in our lives, your work in this world. And today we come and, and ask for you to continue your work in us and in the people of this world that you've created. Father, we pray that you'll help us to see you in the miraculous moments of life and in those ordinary moments of life. For those times when, when we have a, those unusual moments and bursts of joy. And for the moments when life feels a bit mundane and normal and common. Help us to know you with us, loving us, caring for us. Father, we pray that you will make us continually sensitive to your work in the world. That no matter what's happening around us, we would know your grace and your presence in us and with us. Father, today we pray that you will comfort everyone who is grieving. We pray that you will heal all who are experiencing pain. We pray, Father, that you would give peace to every person who is in distress. You would give strength to all who are weary and burdened. We pray that, that you would give light and hope to every one of us feeling anxious and overwhelmed about what lies ahead. And we pray, Father, that you will help us in our relationships to see you at work and to surrender to you in each of them. Father, we do pray for this world. We are we're disturbed by so much that goes on in the world. So many people in pain people living without the basic necessities of life, innocent people living in violence and war. And we pray, Father, that you would bring your spirit to bear more and more on this world. And we ask that you would bring peace, that you would, that you would raise up resources 
that you would help us to be tangible means of light and hope and grace in a world that desperately needs you. Father, we thank you today that you are always more ready to hear than we even are to pray. And that you are, you are more desirous to give than we even are, we desire from you and deserve from you. Father, pour out the abundance of your mercy on us. Forgive us of those things that make, that make us fearful. And help us to have courage to live for you in every moment. Father, we pray all of this through the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came and died for our sins and rose again in victory. And has promised to return for us in final victory. We ask it through him. Amen. I will be reading selected verses from 1 Samuel 25. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon. There was in Maon a very rich man named Nabal. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. His wife Abigail was intelligent and beautiful, But the man, a Calebite, was surly and mean. David, in the desert, heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep at Carmel. So he chose ten young men and said, Go to Nabal and greet him and say in my name, Peace be to you and to your house. I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did them no harm. They missed nothing, for we guarded them all the time they were in the desert. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young man find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to them and to your son David. The young men came to Nabal and said all this in the name of David, and then they waited. Who is David? Nabal asked. There are many servants nowadays who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and wine and meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I don't know where? David's men came back and told him all this. This fellow has returned me evil for good, said David. God punish me if by morning I leave alive so much as one male of all who belong to him. To his men, he said, put on your swords. Every man did so, and David also. He had about 600 men, 400 went with him, while 200 remained with the supplies. One of Nabal's young men told Abigail how her husband had received David's messengers. They were very good to us all the while we were with them. Consider what you should do. Disaster is hanging over our master, and he is so ill-natured no one can speak to him. 
Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep ready dressed, five measures of parched grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs. She laid them on donkeys and departed, but she did not tell Nabal. As she came near the mountain, there was David and his men were coming down toward her. When she saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and fell to the ground before him. Upon me alone, my Lord, be the guilt, she said. Please hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord pay attention to this ill-natured fellow, Nabal, for folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men you sent. Now then, my Lord, seeing that the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from taking vengeance with your own hand, let this present which your servant has brought be given to your young men. Please forgive my trespass, for your life shall be in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has dealt well with you, my Lord, then remember your servant. Blessed be the God of Israel, David replied, who has sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your good judgment, and blessed be you who have kept me from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. And he received from her what she had brought him. Go home in peace, he said. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail returned, Nabal was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. His heart was merry, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until morning light. In the morning, when he was sober, she told him these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he wooed Abigail, sending his servants to her at Carmel to say, David has sent us to take you to him as his wife. Abigail bowed with her face to the ground. She said, Your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Then she rose and mounted a donkey, and with five maidens attending her, she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Please stand and join us as we sing. Lord. 
Father, that is our prayer. We surrender all to you. Do you know how hard that is for us? So we pray that this morning as we, as we allow your word and your spirit to speak into our hearts as we continue in worship, make us people who continually surrender what we are, what we do to you. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. In many ways, our lives are about relationships. And relationships are are such an amazing blessing from God. Think about the relationships you have with friends. People who have been instrumental in your lives and continue to be. who, Who make you a better person. Who speak into your life and you speak into theirs. Think about the relationship of family. The blessing that that can be. As you think about those who are related to you and the joy that you have of being together. And think about the relationship of the church. 
when we're, where we come together as the body of Christ and, and, and we join our hearts and our minds and our spirits in Christ. And we think about relationships. I mean, really, our lives are wrapped up in relationships. They're so important to us and they're a great blessing from God. And we give thanks to, the, to God for the relationships that are gifts to us. But we also know that relationships can sometimes be messy and complicated and difficult. And just as so much of our lives are wrapped up in the joy and the blessing of relationship, so much of our lives are also affected by the difficulties of relationships. You know, where someone we trust hurts us. A family member turns on us. Somebody in the church treats us in a way that, that hurts us. And, and it, it, it does something to us in such a deep way that people that we don't have a relationship could do the same thing and it wouldn't have near the effect. Because relationships are just so important to who we are as human beings. And the messiness and the complicatedness of relationships is not something new. It's something that's been going on a long, long time. And one of the places that we see the complicating nature and the messiness of relationships is is in this passage from 1 Samuel 25 that we read this morning. As this passage unfolds, there are a couple of things I think are important for us to set context. Saul is the king of Israel. But Saul has turned on, away from God. He's rejected God. And so, so God sends Samuel, the, the primary prophet, the primary voice of God to Israel. He sends Samuel to David. And he anoints him as king. And he says, you're going to be the king as soon as Saul is done being king. And David is welcomed into the house of Saul for a while. And then Saul is filled with jealousy. And, and he attacks David. And so David flees and and. Basically, for the rest of of Saul's life, David is on the run. And he gathers around him a group of about 600 guys. And they they support him. And they protect him. And they care for him. And this band of, of brothers, so to speak, roam the hillsides trying to stay away from Saul and his army. And as this chapter unfolds, a significant event in, in David's life has taken place. Samuel has died. It's interesting as you read some of the different commentaries and scholars about this, many of them will make the comment to say, I don't know why that's there. It doesn't have any connection to what goes before it or after it. And I couldn't disagree more. I think it has great bearing on David because Samuel is David's confidant. Samuel is, David, is God's word, to, messenger to David. When David is running around the countryside and wondering who's here to support me, who cares for me, where's my security, who's going to have my back, the one person he knows is going to be the answer to yes to all those questions is Samuel. Samuel cares deeply for him. He has mentored David and loved David and cared for David. And now all of that has been pulled out from under him. And I can't help but but imagine that it has such a huge emotional impact on David. And I think it has bearing on how this story develops. David hears that that this uh, this man, Nabal, is, is shearing his sheep. 
And, and this is an event in, in, in that area of the world, that time. It's sort of like the harvest time. You gather a whole lot of people together and there's these multiple days of shearing sheep and they have a feast and they have a festival and it's a great time of celebration because it's a great blessing of now they're going to bring all this wool together and and sell it. And David knows that when they all come together to shear sheep, there's a lot of food and his men are hungry. I mean, they're scavenging for food anywhere they can get it. And so David sends this, this group of about 10 guys to, to Nabal and says, hey, can we have some food? Can you help us out here? And he reminds them that not too, much, not too long before, his, his shepherds were out in the, in, the, in the desert and David's men protected them. Some people are wondering if it's, you know, David's sort of like this, you know, protection racket. You know, where he says, hey, I'll take care of you. I'll make sure nobody, takes care, nobody harms you and you take care of me. And I don't know if that's exactly what's going on, but this sort of this underlying sense of that. But David says, look, we watched over you. You wouldn't have these sheep to shear if it wasn't for us. So you kind of owe us. And Nabal, it says, is this surly, mean guy, greedy, and says, who's David? What do I care about David? Now, he doesn't say that because he doesn't know who David is. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase of contempt. You know, why, why would I care anything about David? Why would I, a businessman, care a thing about this flea on the back of a dog? What, what's the point? Who is David? What do I care? I'm not giving him anything. And so he sends back the messengers, and David is livid. David is so angry about this that he says to God, if at this time tomorrow I haven't wiped out every male in, in the household, all the servants of Nabal, then God, you do the same thing to me and my family. I mean, David is enraged. And so he heads out, he leaves a couple hundred guys to guard the supplies, and he heads out with 400 of his men, and he's going to take care of the situation. There's a servant back in in Nabal's camp, who goes to his wife Abigail and says, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but here's what just took place. And this is bad news. This is not going to be good for anybody. And so Abigail gets a bunch of food together, a bunch of stuff, grabs some servants and says, let's go. And they go and they meet David. And she gives him these things and he relents of what he's going to do and he heads back home. And Abigail goes back to the camp, and the next morning she tells Nabal what's happened, and he has, I guess what you might say is a stroke. And about 10, years, 10 days later, he dies. And when David hears about it, he takes Abigail for his wife. And when you get to the end of the story, you sort of have this sense of you want it to sort of add at the end, and they all lived happily ever after. Right? I mean, it sort of feels that way. But there's so much more going on in this story than just they all lived happily ever after. And this story that is ancient is as contemporary to our lives as whatever happened to you yesterday or last week or will happen to you this week. Because here's the truth. A lot of us can relate to Nabal and to David. 
Now, we may not be surly and mean like Nabal, and we might not turn away people who need food. But I think we understand how David feels. I think we understand what it feels like to be treated with contempt. In our language, we would probably call what happened here, Nabal disrespected David. And when you're disrespected, you got to do something about it. I mean, you read about, about you know, things that take place in some of the, some of the incidents in the inner cities of, of, of our country and around the world. But you hear about our country, of, of people, gangs shooting each other. And, and when it all comes down to it, what happens? He disrespected me. And you can't let that go. you got to do something about it. And we listen to those stories and our hearts break and we say, why do you have to do that? And then we think back to our own lives and the times when, when people have treated us with contempt and how have we responded? In anger. In some subtle form of retaliation. Because it's the most natural thing in the world to do. We've been hurt. And when we're hurt, we respond that way. It's it's what we do as human beings. It's part of our fallen condition. We understand that. And we do it not only as individuals, but we can do it as, as the church as well, to the world and to each other. In this latest issue of Christianity Today magazine... I don't know if you've seen it. I know there are a number going around the college because on the front cover, there is, there's a picture of Joanne Lyon, who is the general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church, and also a picture of Shirley Mullen, president of Houghton College. And, and inside the magazine, there's an article about 50 women to watch, and both of them have brief vignettes about what they're doing and their influence on the world. It's, it's pretty amazing and exciting to see that. But there's also an editorial in that magazine about about the, the shooting that took place earlier in August at the Family Research Council headquarters in Washington, D.C. And a guy walked into this uh, conservative group and, and took out a gun and was going to begin to shoot people. And a guard reacted quickly, and he himself was shot and injured, but he prevented any more people from being hurt. And, and on the next, and the next day, the, the leader of, the, of this organization that has been maligned and slandered and mistreated by, by some other less conservative groups, stood up and publicly denounced those groups and, and in a sense blamed them for giving license to this man to come in there and shoot at them. And the editorial said, we can't be doing that stuff. But that's the natural reaction. When we're hurt, when we're mistreated, we want to retaliate. And we do it in the church as well. We argue with each other and we, and we, we fight with each other. And often it's about good things. It's about our ministries. It's about, it's about the way we operate as a church. And it, it comes back to the passions that we feel, things that are important about the kingdom. But we can, we can become so absorbed about the passions that we, that we get upset when what we think is important isn't treated as highly as what other people are doing. And we start fighting with each other and arguing with each other and and hurting each other. And the relationships that were good begin to crumble and fall apart. 
And in the midst of all of that, God is, is wanting us to look at a story like this one and to say, I know your natural reaction is to be like David, but I want you to be like Abigail. I want you to be people who understand the ninth verse of the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the children of God. That's an interesting thing for Jesus to say. There's a a scene in in the Monty Python spoof, Life of Brian, where they're showing the, the Sermon on the Mount. And um, there's a crowd there, and, and Jesus is giving the Beatitudes, and there's a woman in the back, when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, a woman in the back says, what did he say? And the guy in front of her says, I think he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. And she says, cheesemakers? What's so special about cheesemakers? And her husband says, well, it's not just cheesemakers, it's anyone who's involved in the dairy industry. <laughs> I mean, it's this ludicrous conversation that takes place. But here's the reality of that. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, it is as crazy a thing for him to say in that context as if he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. I mean, these are people who have been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years for the Messiah to come to free them from their oppressors and to, and to crush their enemies. And Jesus is starting to display power, powerful miracles, casting out demons, powerful teaching. And they are getting excited about what Jesus is going to do and the power he's going to exert. And he's going to crush people and retaliate against all the oppressors that have been holding them down. And then Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. He might as well have said, blessed are the cheesemakers. That's not how you win. That's not how you, you get things done in the world. It's not through peacemaking. And yet this is exactly what Jesus says. Blessed are the peacemakers. And here's the interesting thing about being a peacemaker. Is that Jesus says... It's not just a good thing to do. Being a peacemaker is the family business. This is what we do in the kingdom. Because blessed are the peacemakers. Is, is the Beatitudes are not just a, a new way to think about life. This is the revolutionary coming of the kingdom on earth. As it is in heaven. This is transformational This is not just you ought to be a better person. This is changing completely the way we think and live in this world. This is a revolution of the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers because they're going to be called children of God. And children of God are people who look like God and act like God and reveal the very nature of God. And not everyone who cares about peace is necessarily a child of God or reflecting God. But everyone who is a child of God is committed to being a peacemaker. And that's hard for us. 
Because honestly, our natural tendency is really to be more troublemakers. Um, The story of Abigail fascinates me because you have here a woman who in some sense is really gaining nothing for herself. David is coming back and she doesn't know exactly what David's going to do. And, and, And her husband certainly doesn't deserve her rescuing him. I mean, she could, I would think she might think to herself, this is my way out of this horrible relationship. I'm sure it was an arranged marriage. She didn't have anything to do with it. That's how things were in that culture. And, and here this is, well, maybe it's a chance to get out of a bad situation. But all she can think about is rescuing people, being a peacemaker. And she comes and she humbles herself before David. She doesn't have anything to do with what her husband said and did. And yet her first response is, I'm to blame. I'm so sorry. Accept these gifts. And it is clear to me, when you read the Gospels, when you read what God says to us about being peacemakers, it is, peacemaking is done from, from a, a, a mindset of weakness and humility. In order to be a peacemaker, we have to give up our, our grasp of power. We have to give up our, our desires for wanting to control. We have to take our hands off and we have to operate from a position of weakness and humility. Because if we come into a situation where there needs to be peacemaking done and we come with an attitude of arrogance, I've got all the answers, I've got this solved. If you had just listened to me, it will all be taken care of. People don't listen to that. We try it all the time in our world and nothing happens. But when we come with a spirit of humility and listening and a spirit of weakness, it's in weakness that the power of God can be revealed in us and God can use us. Not because we are powerful, but because we have realized we really have nothing to offer to this situation. But if God can use us, use us. And weakness is hard for us because it's risky. When you put yourself in a vulnerable, weak position, you can get taken advantage of. And you can get hurt. And you never know what, how people are going to respond. When Abigail comes to David, she doesn't know what David's going to do. Just a couple of chapters earlier, Saul is irritated because the priests at Nob have helped out David. And he goes in and he just wipes them all out. Men, women, and children. She has no idea if David will, will hear her and respond positively to her or not. But that really isn't the point. The point is something needs to be done and she's willing to do it. And she's willing to sacrifice herself and put herself on the line and stick out her neck for the cause of peace. And you think about the situations in which you may find yourself. Maybe it's a situation between... Two people you know who are at odds with each other. Truthfully, you don't really want to get into it. You don't want to get in the middle of it. You don't want to get involved. Because you know there's great risk. You may alienate both of them from you. But as you pray and as you think about it, and as you listen to God's voice, if he's prompting you to get involved, you, you do it. At whatever risk it may be to you. And maybe even more more real to us is when we have a conflict with someone else. And this, this sense of not wanting to, to, 
to, be, to take the initiative. And like David, we're, we're trying to save face because we value saving face. And taking the first step is hard. But we sense God prompting us about taking the first step, about being vulnerable, about sticking out our necks. Then we need to follow. And it's hard. And it's risky. And ultimately, being a peacemaker comes down to being willing to risk so much that all we can do is trust God. I mean, that's really what it comes down to because we don't know what the outcome is going to be. We don't know how people are going to react to us. We don't know how people are going to respond to us. But we're willing to do what we can through the grace of God and in humility to let God use us. And we trust him for whatever the outcome may end up being. It may end up that we see a miracle take place and we give thanks to God. It may end up that something else happens. But that's in God's hands. We can't control how people respond to us. All we can control is that our spirit is right. That we're, we're coming to the situation in a spirit of weakness and vulnerability and humility. And because we sense the prompting of God on our lives. And we gently and humbly venture into a situation that we'd really rather stay out of, to be honest. But we hear the call of God to be peacemakers. Because that's what children of God do. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that Christ came and reconciled the world to himself through the cross. Through surrender. Through humbling himself. Through weakness. And if that is the path of Christ, how much more is it going to be the path that God leads us? I have absolutely no idea what the circumstances may be in which you sense peacemaking needed. It might be between two people that you care about. It might be between you and someone else. But you know. And if God is prompting you about it, speaking to you about stepping in the gap and and being his presence to be the first step of reconciliation and peacemaking. And I want to encourage you as I'm Encouraging myself to be willing to take that step and to risk and to trust God. Because in some sense, it's, it is about the people and the circumstance, but it's really about obedience and it's about our hearts. It's about acting like Jesus.
It's about doing the family business as God's children. I'd like for all of us to just take a moment to to meditate, to pray, and to simply let God speak to us in any way He desires about being not just a peace lover and not just a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker. Father, we thank you for giving us the privilege of being your children, being emissaries of peacemaking in this world. Give us grace. Give us courage. Give us a humble spirit. And we pray this through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen. moment in peace eternally.
earth and let it begin with me. stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.